Hey everybody, today is April 3rd, 2021, and we are going to be reading chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Dawn of Shadows. Chapter 5 The wizard had a tanned face creased with wrinkles, spotted with moles and liver splash. The top of his head was bald, but growing out from the sides was wild white hair that made him look like he'd been electrocuted. He wore a brown robe under a hooded coat that looked like it was supposed to be light blue, but it was worn and torn and looked grayer than anything. A red scarf hung around his neck, and Kryn wondered how the wizard hadn't died of heat stroke under all those layers. Who are you? Kryn asked. My name, the wizard stepped forward, looking Kryn over like a specimen, is Nicodemus. I am the guardian of this house. Nicodemus squinted his one good eye, covered by a single spectacle. The other was milky white and half-closed, a long scar crossing it from his brow to the bridge of his nose. From the desk, the owl flew onto Nicodemus's shoulder. And this is Talon. The owl blinked at Kryn and screeched again. He doesn't look like much of a guardian, Kryn thought. I'm Kryn. I know who you are, Nicodemus cut him off. I'd recognize the grandson of the old raven anywhere. Grandson? Ow! Kryn turned to Nicodemus, who just snatched a strand of his hair from his head. Why did you do that? Nicodemus didn't answer. Instead, he walked back to his desk, placing Kryn's head in a glass vial. Yes, you're the spitting image of your grandfather. Well, aside from that hair, Nicodemus nodded to Kryn. His hair was black as a crow. You knew my grandfather? Critton didn't have much knowledge about either side of his family. His mother, from what he remembered, cleaned the houses of the middle class. His memories of her were flitting images of a woman with auburn hair and a sad smile. She died when he was too young to comprehend what death or grief even was, from a flu outbreak that hit the borough one winter. Who her parents were, her first and last name, she he didn't know. As for his father, He'd never met him. The only thing he'd gotten from him was his last name. Now, Nicodemus was telling him that he knew a grandfather Kryn didn't even know existed. I knew him all right, better than most. What was his name? Kryn asked, and Nicodemus said, I don't suppose that's something you would know. The wizard turned around and opened a drawer in his desk. When he turned back around, his hand was closed around a rolled sheet of paper. <clears throat> his name was William Ravenbranch. And he was a dear friend of mine. Was he part of the organization? Mason questioned. Mason mentioned that this house was owned by them. He said it was in their best interest to protect me. Is it because of who my grandfather was? Kryn asked. Nicodemus and Talon both looked at each other and then back to Kryn. Organization? They make it sound like some sort of cult. Nicodemus said, looking at the owl again, who strangely seemed to understand the wizard's every word. Perhaps it did. The order that Mason spoke of is called the Raven's Blade, and your grandfather was not just part of it, he founded it. Nicodemus said, Kryn thought about it, and it made sense. The Raven symbol throughout the house, the name of the house, his last name. It was all connected. What does this order do, exactly? Kryn asked. Nicodemus parted his lips to speak, but paused. A second later, Kryn heard the atrium door open. Nicodemus, are you up here? I can't find the kid. Kryn recognized the raspy voice. 
Back here, Mason, the wizard called, and Mason turned the corner, locking his eyes on Kryn. What are you doing up here? He asked, looking exasperated like he just ran up and down flights of stairs, which he'd probably done if he was looking for Kryn inside the huge house. I got bored, Kryn replied, and Mason looked from him to the wizard. Well, I guess I don't have to introduce the two of you. The meeting is happening earlier than I thought. He looked back at Kryn. Everyone's here. They're downstairs waiting to meet you. You still want those questions answered, right? Well, come on. We shouldn't keep them waiting. What did you tell him? Kryn heard Mason ask Nicodemus behind him as they stepped out from the staircase and into the office. Nothing he isn't about to find out, Nicodemus replied. Kryn looked back at both of them and Mason threw a glance over his shoulder at the wizard as he crossed the room and passed Kryn out the office door into the hall. Kryn followed with the one-eyed wizard and the owl trailing behind him. Hall lamps lit the way as they followed Mason to the other side of the house where they walked through a doorless entryway into a large living room lit by a hanging chandelier. The familiar smell of tobacco mixed with strong alcohol wafted into Kryn's nose. There were over a dozen men standing and sitting in the space, talking amongst themselves, smoking cigars and sipping whiskey and brandy. The room fell silent as they all turned to Kryn. Several of the men were dressed in the dark suits and doublets of those who worked in City Hall. Others were dressed like merchants and low-ranking nobles. There were two who were dressed similarly to Mason, all dark and fitted and deadly looking. And there were two men in armor, one in the city watchman's uniform and the other. Nice of you to join us, Kryn, said a man standing alone, leaning against the fireplace mantle. He was dressed in the dark robes of a judge with dark cropped hair and a pair of narrow glasses on his face. Kryn shifted, uncomfortable in the presence of a judge. He was from the borough, and the nightmare was and the nightmare was to be brought before a judge in the city hall, where execution or prison could be sentenced with one pound of a mallet. But looking around the room at the rest of the men, he concluded that most of them were not what they seemed. Please have a seat. The man in the judge's robe gestured for Kryn to sit in the chair to the right of the fireplace. He glanced at Mason, who nodded for Kryn to go ahead. As he walked forward, he noticed the portrait that hung above the fireplace mantel, behind the judge. It was a painting of the same man from the dining room, just on a larger scale. Nicodemus's words rang in his head. You're the spitting image of your grandfather, except for that hair. His hair was black as a crow. Kryn realized the man in the painting must have been his newly revealed grandfather, William Ravenbranch. Uncomfortably, Kryn crossed the distance and sat in the chair that had been turned so he was facing everyone in the room. The judge walked from the fireplace to the center of the space. I want to thank everyone for coming on such short notice, but considering the circumstances, I felt it was worth calling a complete council. The judge's eyes scanned the room before landing on Kryn. Before we begin this meeting and answer whatever questions you may have, it's important that I set the tone. The things we discuss here, our presence here, must never leave the walls of this house, for your sake and ours. Do you understand? The judge asked. Who on earth would I tell? Kryn thought, but instead he settled for a nod. I understand. Good. My name is Claude Hugo, and these gentlemen are my close associates. 
Everyone in the room gave Kryn their name. When it came to the familiar man in armor, Kryn said his name for him. Gail Geller, you're a knight of the king's court. You were there. You brought me to the throne room the day the king threw me in a dungeon. What are you doing here? Kryn glared daggers across the room. What was this, some sort of sick joke? Why would a king's knight be in a room full of people who were supposedly trying to protect him? Take it easy, Mason said. He and Nicodemus both remained at the edge of the room near the entryway. How do you think we knew to come and rescue you from the Great Tower? It was Geller who alerted us to the king having you in his custody. Kren looked back at the knight who was the commander of the Great Tower's forces. He served the king, and yet here he was, committing treason against House Greyhorn for Kren's sake. Oh, was all Kren managed to awkwardly get out? Between you and I... I am no more loyal to the king than Eric is to his people. He gestured for the rest of the men. You have no enemies here. The ravens all nodded in agreement. Why didn't you smuggle me out of the castle before Eric locked me in a cell? Kryn asked. The memory of being locked in the black cell hit him like a wave. He'd only been there for three days, but it had felt like a week. His tone may have been harsher than he intended. Gale and every other person in the room glanced at Claude Hugo, whose expression remained impassive. I didn't know who you were, Gale said. I didn't have a clue until I heard the king say your name. I didn't know why you'd been brought to the tower, but I knew the king's intentions weren't good. Do you know now why the king locked me up? This fortune I've never heard of until now. Some of us do. Others are still in the dark as you, Kryn. It's why we're here now, one of the younger ravens said, and the attention in the room shifted back to Claude Hugo, who stood still as stone. Not everything, Hugo said, directing his words at Nicodemus, Gale, and several others, whose expressions showed they had more knowledge of the situations than others in the room, needs to be revealed. He is William's grandson, so we saved him from the king, and we are now sheltering and protecting him. We have already put ourselves and the future of this order in harm's way for him. We can find a way to smuggle him out of Asgrith, to some place where he will be out of Eric's reach. Don't be ridiculous, Nicodemus said. Stay out of this, wizard. You're lucky to even sit on this meeting involving raven matters that do not concern you, Claude said, his voice full of contempt for Nicodemus. The air in the room suddenly grew thick with static, and something flashed in the wizard's one eye. There is no one to be more concerned with Raven Matters than I. I, who was there the day William founded this order. I, who reside as the guardian of this house. The wizard took two steps forward. Do not mistake me, Honorable Judge Hugo. I am no meek magician, pulling rabbits from hats. Nicodemus then pointed to Kryn. Now, tell him the truth. He deserves an explanation for all of this. They all deserve the truth. Hugo didn't reply to Nicodemus that time. Instead, he passed a lingering glance over everyone in the room. All right. But just know, everything I've done, I've done with the best interest of this order at heart. Claude Hugo looked back at Kryn and said, As I'm sure you've figured out by now, William Ravenbranch, in, this course of his, in the course of his life, accumulated a very large sum of money, money that is held in a vault within the Dwarven Bank. This you all know. 
most of you should remember, William began to lose himself the closer to death he got. And by the time he passed, he was clinically senile. Take into consideration that his final actions may have been carried out by a mind that wasn't all there. It was there enough, Nicodemus butted in. Claude ignored him and turned to face Crim. About a month before William passed away, a sickly woman came here, demanding we take in her child. She claimed that the boy, you, were William's grandson. Naturally, I was suspicious. She had no proof that William's son was your father. But when William saw you, he made up his mind that he spoke the truth, that she spoke the truth, and in an act of what I feel was an impulse of his illness, he wrote up a brand new will, unbeknownst to me. And the will was shipped off to the Dwarven Bank before I could stop it. His mind was so scattered by then that he went weeks without telling me. He only did so after having a short bout of memory where he revealed the creation of the new will. Claude said, What did the will say? Crin asked, his brain steadily making sense of his situation. It said, It says that the Raven Branch fortune would be left to you in its entirety. What do you mean entirety? One of the ravens asked. Entirety as in to the very last coin. Even Raven House. William left everything to Crin. Crin didn't have time to think before the room was taken over in an uproar from the ravens who hadn't known about the will, which was most of them. They pointed from Crin to Claude and back, talking over each other. How could you keep this from us? That money belongs to the order. You've put us all in danger. The complaints and objections went on for a very drawn out minute before Claude yelled, Enough! And the room quieted. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. The king, nobody was ever supposed to know about the existence of the will. But somehow, Eric found out about it and he tracked Crin down before the deadline. What deadline? One of the ravens asked. There's a stipulation in the will, Claude said. Crin cannot claim his inheritance until his 18th birthday. Once he turns 18, there's a month-long window for him to claim the money. And if the month passed, the inheritance would be directed to the next beneficiaries, our order. When do you turn 18, Crin? One of the ravens in all black asked. A few weeks, he answered. Every realization was flooding his mind at once, and with them his rising anger. The more he processed, the more his emotions bubbled. The room went quiet as everyone took in the news. A long minute passed before Crin broke the silence. You knew. The whole time, you knew, Crin said. I beg your pardon. This was never about saving me, or about who my grandfather was. This is about my inheritance. If it weren't for the possibility of the king claiming that money, I would have been left in that dungeon of rot. You all would have turned a blind eye, just like you did 15 years ago. He glared at the judge and stood up from his chair with so much force that it fell over behind him. For years, you let me struggle on the streets. All you could have, also you could claim my inheritance. You son of a bitch. Crin raged and Claude Hugo turned beet red. You are angry. That much is expected. But do not expect an apology on my part or anyone else's. We did that. We did what needed to be done for the good of the order. 
That money may be in your name, but it does not belong to you. As I said before, we have no way of knowing whether you really are William's grandson or if your mother simply gave you his son's last name. What good would it have done to take in a random bastard off the street? There was no place for you here, Claude said, his tall frame allowing him to look down at Kryn as he spoke. Kryn wanted nothing more than to knock him down to eye level. Surely some sort of arrangement can be made, Kryn, a middle-aged raven dressed in a suit stood. He stepped forward, intentionally putting himself in between Claude and Kryn, attempting to de-escalate the tension, putting a hand on Kryn's shoulder. This is, at the moment, very strenuous, I know. We have all found ourselves in a rather uncomfortable situation, but this mess can be fixed. I can draw up some paperwork and get in contact with the right people. If we act quickly and quietly and stay under the king's nose, we can sort out who gets what. The order can get a percentage of the will, and so can you. True, we may have handled this wrongly, but the cards have fallen where they lay now. We can work out something that benefits us all. The man's voice was calm and reassuring. He talked to Kryn like a caring friend. If Kryn was green, he may not have noticed the tactic. The raven reeked of City Hall, probably a lawyer. Kryn moved his shoulder from under the man's hand. Don't you get it? Don't any of you get it? This isn't about the money. It's about leaving me to raise and fend for myself when there were alternatives. I don't know any of you, and this is all confusing still, but one thing I'm not confused about is greed. I know greed when I see it. Kryn looked to Claude and stared directly into his eyes. His anger outweighed any thoughts of sympathy he might have had for these men before. He didn't owe them anything, seeing as to how they never even moved to acknowledge his existence. Keep your deals, save your breaths, because whether you like it or not, that will is in this bastard's name. Chapter 6 What am I doing here? The thought kept repeating in Kren's mind as he sat on the edge of the roof at the back of the Raven House. The moonlight was bright and he knew it was probably a bad idea to be outside where he might be seen, but he was desperate for fresh air after that tense meeting with the Raven's Blade. He pinched himself for the umpteenth time in the last hour, trying to wake himself up from the dream he must have been having. Any minute he'd wake up, get ready, and head over to the House of Six Snakes to see what job Rattler had for him that day. But he knew that was wishful thinking. This was all real. He was suddenly a rich man with a target on his back and none of the power that normally came with wealth to protect himself. This house, though it may have been his, suddenly felt even more like a cell. He was still under the protection of the ravens, but it was obviously because they believed in the chance of still receiving their own chunk of his inheritance. You've got a death wish or something? A voice from behind Kren pulled him from his thoughts. He turned to see Mason and prepared to argue. He wasn't about to go inside and be surrounded by walls. He needed to be out, in the night air, free in his element, even if it meant being marooned to the Raven House's roof. But to his surprise, Mason's expression wasn't so hard as before. He walked forward and sat next to Kryn, lighting a tobacco cigarette and taking a long drag before he spoke again. That wasn't smart talking to Claude like that, he said. I get that he's the leader of your cult, but a son of a bitch is a son of a bitch. I'm not sorry if I offended him, you, or anyone else, Kren said, waving away the tobacco smoke. Mason laughed. 
It was a hearty laugh that pulled open a wide smile on Mason's face. For a moment, it made him look years younger. I said it wasn't smart. I didn't say I had a problem with it. He hit his cigarette again, holding in the smoke before releasing it. The order is the only thing standing between you and the king. All I'm saying is to evaluate the circumstances. It may not be wise to antagonize them. Claude is a pill. Trust me. I know better than most, but he's capable of keeping you out of the king's hands. And whose fault is it that I was in them in the first place? Kren's words were laced with venom and agitation. At first, he'd been grateful to Mason for saving him from the Great Tower, but now he knew he wouldn't have been brought there if it weren't for the ravens. He came up to the roof to be alone, not next to one of them. He stood up, and before he walked off, Mason stopped him. Kren, wait. He said, we didn't know, all right? I had no idea that you even existed. The look in Mason's eyes seemed honest enough, but Corinne's capacity for trusting was at an all-time low. I'm the youngest member of the Order, which also means I'm the lowest ranking one, too. So they don't tell me anything. The only reason I found out the truth was because Claude was forced to tell me everything to carry out your rescue. Kryn looked down at Mason's hand, still wrapped tight around his wrist. Mason let go, but he was still looking up at, his, at him with hard, dark eyes. Fine. You didn't know, Kryn said and walked a few paces away, out of reach of the cigarette smoke, and sat, letting his heels kick against the wall. But you know everything now. And you're still a raven, aren't you? You're still one of them. You're not protecting me because of who I am. You're protecting me because of the money. It got quiet after that. They sat there for a moment, not saying a thing. The order's all I've got. They're the only family I know, Mason said. And when his cigarette eventually burnt out, he flicked it away. I'll be a raven until the day I die. But my loyalty doesn't belong to Claude, the ravens, or even Nicodemus, he said. Then who does it belong to? Kryn asked. For a second, it looked like Mason was about to say, but then his expression revealed a shift in thought, and he stood up. He looked down at Kryn and said, You're wrong. It's not about the money. Not with me. Don't stay out here too long. It's dangerous. He turned to walk away, then stopped. He reached in his jacket and pulled out a leather-sheathed dagger. He walked to where Kryn was and held it out. I haven't lost the one you gave me, Kryn said. Just take it, kid. Two knives are better than one. Kryn took the dagger and Mason walked away. Kryn unsheathed it and turned the blade over in his hand, his mind racing. He settled on a single thought, a self-proclamation. He would never go back to the Great Tower. He never let the king put him in a cell again. He gripped the handle of the dagger and looked out into the night. I won't go down without a fight. And if I do go down, then they won't take me alive. Kryn woke up sometime during the night, his eyes opening to the low glow of the lamp on his nightstand. He sat up in the bed, and the books he'd been reading before he dozed off shifted off his lap. It had been two days since the meeting, and he couldn't sleep, so he stayed up reading until finally his body succumbed to exhaustion. He realized he hadn't woken up on his own, though. He could hear something outside of his room. It was faint, the light creak of the hardwood floor, the soft click of footsteps. Maybe it's Mason, he thought, 
but his instincts told him otherwise. It couldn't have been the butler or any of the servants either. They'd gone home hours ago. He slid off the bed and turned off the lamp before walking to the door. He opened it slowly so it wouldn't squeak and peeked out. The third floor of the mansion was nearly pitch black, faint moonlight coming through the stained glass window on the far wall. There was no one there, at least not where he could see. He started to step out of the room when he heard a footstep. It came from down the hall, two rooms down to his left. Someone's definitely here. He moved forward, even though that part of him said to just turn back around and get back in bed. It was probably nothing. He got to the room, and the door was pushed half open. He looked inside and saw a shadow in the dark, a silhouette on the other side of the room. It sounded like he was pouring water on the floor, but the smell hit Kren's nose. Not water, alcohol. The silhouette lit a match and flicked it at the curtains. Flames grew in seconds, illuminating the darkness. The silhouette materialized into the black back of a man, and Kryn found his voice. What are you doing? Kryn said as the flames spread from the curtains to the walls. The man whipped around, and Kryn recognized him immediately. It was one of the ravens he'd met days before. His eyes looked his eyes locked on Kryn and he lunged forward. Kryn didn't have time to think, his instincts took over, and he shifted out of the way and to the side. The man was quick, though, and when he turned, he had a knife in one hand and made a grab for Kryn with the other. But almost subconsciously, Kryn had drawn his own knives. The switchblade turned forward in one hand and the dagger turned backward in the other. The raven threw a punch and Kryn weaved left and then ducked under the next. When he came up, he stabbed forward with his left, but the man dodged it, and then he felt the man's boot ram into his abdomen. He skidded backward, and in a flash, the man was on him. Kryn didn't have time to process the pain in his gut because the raven reached up to pin down his arms. He brought them in close to his body and then with his left forearm he pushed the raven's arm away. Before the man could do anything with the knife he had in his other hand, Kryn closed his fingers around the dagger and drove his fist in an uppercut into the man's jaw so hard it made a cracking sound. It threw the man off just long enough for Kryn to slash with the switchblade. He rolled from under the raven as he gripped at his throat, blood pooling through his fingers. Kryn stood up and smoke began to spill out of the flame-engulfed room, and following it, the fire curled like fingers, pulling itself through the doorway and spreading onto the walls. Mason, Kryn called as he edged to the stairs. Mason! Mason's door opened, and he stepped out, rubbing his eyes. What is, whoa, the hell is going on? Mason jumped when he saw the rapidly growing fire, and a confused expression appeared on his face when he looked at the man on the floor. That's Bran. What happened? Mason went back in his room, not what Kryn would have done with flames consuming the third floor. The longest minute ever passed before Kryn, before he came back out, throwing on his jacket and buckling a gun-holstered belt and crossed the distance to the stairs where Kryn was. He set the fire and then he tried to kill me, Kryn said as they moved down to the second floor. This doesn't make any sense. Mason looked back, the confused expression still on his face. Kryn grabbed Mason's arm. Come on, we have to get out of here. Suddenly, Kryn heard shattering glass, someone breaking the windows downstairs. He and Mason both peered over the railing to see the glow of fire. Above them, the third story was deteriorating, both sides engulfed in flames and spreading to the staircase. They're trying to flush us out, Mason said. Come on this way. 
They went into one of the rooms to the left, and Mason went to the window and opened it. There's a ladder that goes down to the alley, but we have to hurry, Mason said as he climbed out of the window and Kryn followed. They climbed the iron ladder down into the dark alley where the windows began to bleed smoke from the fire inside, above and below them. When they got to the ground, Mason started to move and then paused, pushing Kryn back with his forearm. He looked from side to side. Stay behind me, he kept his voice low. We aren't alone. Mason, Kryn, a voice called, followed by another. Right after, two men emerged from the smoke and on either side of them. Thank goodness you two are all right. A look of relief flashed across the faces of the of who Kryn realized were ravens, Wes and Tim. Tim stepped forward and Mason drew his guns, one in each hand pointed at both men. The two men glanced at each other, raising their hands. Mason, have you lost it? It's us. Put the guns down, Wes said. But Mason stood right where he was, putting himself between the two men and Kryn. He cocked the barrel of the gleaming revolvers in response. Kryn felt the heat being generated from the growing fire. Bran just tried to kill Kryn. You set that fire downstairs and I'll hit to finish the job. A look was exchanged between the two men. We aren't trying to kill him, Mason. If we wanted him dead, he'd already be. Just trust us and lower the guns. The king didn't want me dead either, Kryn said, gripping the knives in his hands. Mason glanced back at Kryn and then at Tim and Wes. Fine. Mason said, slowly lowering his revolvers to his side. What, Mason? No! As soon as the guns were lowered, Tim pulled a pistol from his own belt. Kryn reacted as fast as Tim had drawn the flintlock. He pulled Mason back, barely out of the bullet's way, and before Tim could reload and fire again, Kryn had sent his dagger whizzing through the air and into Tim's chest. Mason let a bullet fly at West before he could act, and both men crumpled to the ground. Mason turned around and looked at Kryn, then at Tim's limp body. They were really going to kill us. I can't believe it, Mason said, shaking his head before he went over and pulled the dagger from the man's chest. He wiped the blood off on his pant leg and handed it back to Kryn. Thanks for that. Good to know you can handle yourself. Never said I couldn't, Kryn responded, taking the knife back. The shots came from over here. A voice called out from beyond the smoke. More people were there. If they'd set a fire to flush them out, then the house was probably surrounded. The sound of the footsteps came from either side of them, and Kryn looked up. The fire had taken over, flaring out the windows. Even if they climbed back up the ladder, they'd just get stuck. A look of understanding passed between them then. They'd have to fight whichever ravens would appear from the smoke. They stood back to back, and Kryn gripped his knives, but he nor Mason was ready for what happened next. It wasn't more ravens who came through the smoke, but city watchmen, dressed in armor with swords, shields, and spears drawn. They packed into the alleyway, blocking Kryn and Mason in. One of them pushed past the other soldiers, staying near the wall of the neighboring house away from the fire. He looked down at the two dead men on the ground and then at Kryn. Drop your weapons. Kryn, Raven Branch, you need to come with us now. Never, Kryn said. It's too many of them, Kryn, Mason said. We can't fight them, and if we die here, then all of this will be for nothing, and I have a strong feeling the king will be the one to get that money. You want us to give up then? No, Mason said, placing his revolvers back in their holsters at his hip. 
Immediately, the soldiers moved in, and Kryn quickly sheathed his knives before they could take him. We live to fight another day, Mason said as the soldiers grabbed him by their wrist. No, Kryn thought. This is exactly what I didn't want to happen. But he didn't react. He didn't pull his knives from his sheaths. Despite what he'd said to himself before, he couldn't bring himself to fight knowing he'd be brought down. He wasn't as ready to face death rather than imprisonment as he thought. The soldiers were rough as they pushed them through the alley, through the smoke, and out in front of the Raven House. Mason stopped, turning to look at the mansion, now blazing in flame and billowing with smoke. A pained look flashed in his black eyes before the soldier forced him to turn back around and keep moving. In the street up ahead were a line of about a dozen horses. Two of them were seated, one by a man in the city watch armored uniform, obviously high in rank. And next to him, sitting high on the horse, as black as his robes, was Claude Hugo. Claude, you son of a bitch, Mason spat. What have you done? Mason and Kryn were both walked until they were in front of Claude's horse and were forced down onto their knees by swords at their backs. I did what was necessary, Claude said, with an absolute lack of shame in his expression and tone. He looked down at Kryn and they locked eyes. I'm sorry that it had to come to this, but I couldn't sit back and let you take what rightfully, what rightfully belonged to the order. So, you made a deal with the king. Do you really think he'll shed a fortune with you? He won't. He'll probably have you murdered or locked up, Kryn said, and Claude's lips spread into a smile. You let me worry about all of that. Captain, cuff them both and keep an eye on that one. He nodded toward Mason. Don't let your guards down. The captain nodded and balked at his men. You heard Judge Hugo. Cuff them. The soldiers moved to place cuffs around their wrists, and Mason looked back at Kryn, his charcoal eyes apologetic. I'm sorry, Kryn, he said, and just as Kryn felt the metal cuff touch his skin, there was a sound that made everyone pause and look to find the source. More armored men on horses materializing out of the dark and into the firelight. At least five men, but not city watchmen, appeared. Captain Jan, Claude, stand down and turn the young man over to us. A man rode forward and Kryn realized it was Commander Gale. And among him were a group of knights, some of them members of the king's own guard. Gale, what do you think you're doing? Claude asked, not eyes narrowed. Gale ignored the judge and looked at Captain Jan. Captain, that was an order, not a request. The captain looked conflicted, and his horse reacted to his body language, shifting nervously. He pulled the horse's reins before saying, With all due respect, Commander, I have direct orders from the king. I cannot speak for the judge, but he wants Raven Branch immediately. Gale turned to look up at the Raven House. His house, his face hardening as he took in the sight of the fire. Then he looked at Hugo with disgust in his eyes, then back to Captain Jan. And I'm giving you a direct order now, as your higher-ranking officer, stand down. The presence of the other knights behind Gale, sitting silent and still, served as a loud threat. Gale may have been outnumbered two to one, but the city watchmen weren't knights. They were outmatched. Captain Jan seemed to realize this, but then Claude's words broke through. Gale, do not interfere. What's done is done. 
Captain Jan, I'll remind you that disobeying a direct order from the king is treason. If you show up without the boy, he'll have the heads of you and all your men. The captain weighed his options, and the look that settled on his face said he feared the king more than he feared Gale. His response was him drawing his sword and ordering half his soldiers and Claude to restrain Crin and Mason and get back to the Great Tower, and for the other soldiers to stay and fight. Gale and his fellow knights drew their own swords and rode forward. The city watchmen's horses moved to form a barricade between them and Gale's group. They managed to cuff Mason and still had the knife against his back. Kern reached for his knives to take out the watchman behind him before he could be cuffed, but a blade was suddenly pressed at his throat. He looked up to see Claude with a slender cane sword in his hand. Don't even think about it. Claude was cut off, though, by a rumbling sound that was followed by a sudden vibration in the ground, and then the earth buckled and crackled and split beneath them. A few of the horses lost their balance and toppled over, Claude's included. As soon as the sword was away from Crin's neck, he rolled away from the distracted shoulder be soldier behind him and pulled out his knives. The soldier raised his sword, not seeming to have gotten the memo about needing Crin alive. But just as the soldier began to bring down his blade, the air filled with heavy static and electricity whizzed through the air. Bolts of yellow lightning surged around him, hitting the closest soldiers, but not him and Mason. The electricity was concentrated, and Kryn could feel the energy of it in the static air. When it stopped, the men crumpled to the ground in sizzling heaps. The spooked horses took off, and Kryn looked ahead and saw the source of the attack. It was the one-eyed wizard, Nicodemus, walking forward, and at the sight of him, Kryn suddenly felt a little guilty. In their rush to escape the fire, he and Mason hadn't even thought to make sure Nicodemus was alright. The wizard stepped forward and reached out with one hand toward the blazing building. His hand cut through the air and a ripple of flame came arching from the house before crashing onto the street and spreading across, forming a wall of fire between them and the soldiers who were fighting Gale. That was incredible, Kryn said, walking over to where the wizard was using magic to remove Mason's cuffs. You mortals are so easily thrilled, Nicodemus said, and Mason stood up, his wrists free. We have to get out of here, Mason said. I've got everything covered, but we have to be quick. Follow me. And they started to move when Kryn caught sight of movement out the corner of his eye. He turned to see Claude Hugo standing in front of the firewall. He reached inside his dark robe and pulled out a pistol and aimed it at Kryn. Kryn tried to dodge Hugo's aim but wasn't fast enough and he felt the bite of the bullet graze his arm. Just as quickly as he'd fired, another shot rang out, and Kryn thought surely that was the end, that a bullet had made its mark somewhere crucial. But he didn't feel anything, and he realized it wasn't Claude's gun that was shot. He turned to see Mason, arm outstretched, and his gun barrel smoking from the release of a bullet. It struck Claude right in the chest, and he clutched at his collar, wobbling, and eventually crumpled down. Suddenly, all Kryn could hear was Mason's voice saying, the order is all I've got. Now, between he and Kryn, four of the ravens were dead. Mason had just gunned down their leader without hesitation. He said his loyalty didn't belong to Claude. I guess he meant it, Kryn thought. By then, the neighbors started to come out of their homes, drawn out by the fire and the commotion. Let's go quickly now, before the whole blasted city watch shows up. 
Nicodemus beckoned them to follow and they did. As they ran, Kryn took a last look at the Raven House engulfed in fire and breathing smoke. They were leaving it behind and he was being thrown into the fray once more. And that is the end of chapter 6. I will see y'all on Tuesday or maybe even Monday. Depends. But definitely um, Tuesday for Spiritual Tuesdays. I hope y'all enjoyed today's podcast. And I hope y'all have been enjoying overall the reading of Dawn of Shadows. Um, So yeah. If y'all follow me on Instagram. Cool if y'all don't follow me on Instagram at redoutthe7 and y'all keep up with, you know, character designs and everything. And alright, bye-bye. Have a very good Easter.